that he is experiencing our exile for us. And when you even look at some of the descriptions of Isaiah 53, how they describe Jesus' death in, in, in those terms, in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant is experiencing the covenant curses that should have fallen on Israel. And so even the descriptions are borrowed from Deuteronomy and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic reform tradition delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hey guys, before we start this episode with Dr. Matthew Harmon on his book, Sin and Exile, published by IVP Academic, please listen to the end of this episode to find out if you won a previous book giveaway and also how to win your own copy of this book, courtesy of IVP Academic and IVP Press. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and we'll see you on the other side. Are you in the Orange County or Santa Ana area? We are exploring a church plant, Santa Ana Reformed, with the oversight and accountability of Oceanside URC and Reverend Danny Hyde. If you are interested or you know someone who might be interested in the area, please check out our show notes for a link to sign up for updates. Our Twitter or Instagram at Pod or Santa Ana URC for the same sign up link or simply email us at SantaAnnaReformed at gmail.com. We begin meetings on October 28th at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. Now on with the episode. Hello, everyone, and it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is Book Club by the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. At the end of this episode, check out our show notes for a link to today's book and the Society of Reformed Podcasters and Napark Reformed Church Finder and more. So today's episode is with Matthew Harmon, and he's talking to us about his book, Rebels and Exiles, A Biblical Theology of Sin and Restoration. It's a part of the ESBT series published by IVP Academic. So Peter, how you been? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm excited to, to get this going. Yeah. So like Nick said, we've got Dr. Matthew Harmon. He is a professor of New Testament at Grace Theological Seminary. He's got a passion for research and writing, specializes in the use of Old Testament in the New Testament, biblical theology, commentary writing, and Pauline epistles. He's an active member of Christ's Covenant Church, leads a small group, teaches Sunday school, and helps with the preaching team as well. He's co-edited or helped write a couple other volumes with Dr. Glad, which we had on before, Dr. Beal, we've had on before. So we are really excited to have you on the show, Dr. Harmon. Well, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Yeah. So this, this is part one of a two-part kind of book series. So we're going to go through your first book with IVP Press and then another book that's another kind of part of a volume. So we're excited to talk about this one first. So kind of the first question to ground us is what's what was the background and influence behind writing this book and attached to this, what, what void did you see that you kind of wanted to fill with this book? So I've always had uh, a passion for biblical theology 
because I've always felt like it helps me to see how the Bible fits together as well as helps me to explain to other people what God is doing in the world and how we as his people fit within that larger uh, storyline. Mm. And so uh, really in some ways, this, this, this book has its origins in just a, a friendship with, uh, with Ben Glad, mm. who is the, uh, the series editor of this. We went through Wheaton together and uh, got to know each other that way. We've, be, we've been good friends since. And so when he started this series, laying out some of these essential uh, studies and biblical themes, he, he wanted to uh, highlight what he regarded as some of the most important ones for understanding the flow of the Bible. And so he approached me about writing this particular volume. And so uh, any chance I get to write on, on biblical theology is, is a great opportunity and as I, as I thought more about the topic, I also was excited about the opportunity to jump into a discussion that, that has been going on in larger academic circles about the, uh, about the theme of exile and return from exile and how significant is that within understanding the storyline of the Bible. And so this, uh, this was an opportunity for me to write at a little bit more of a popular level, uh, and while being informed by some of those larger scholarly discussions, mm -hmm. and it was a great opportunity. Uh, I, this this book in particular, although it kind of surprised me, I would say that this is one of my favorite books I've I've written, and hmm. I wasn't expecting that going into it. You know, you okay. you, you yeah. get the topic of sin and exile, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, wow, that's a real pick me up. Yeah, it's but, not not exciting in that sense. No, but man, along the way, God really used it in my life to, to, to really show me some fresh realities mm. about who he is and about, um, about how to live in this world. And so uh, it was a, a very meaningful experience to get to write this book. Hmm. Yeah, and usually, I mean, the, the stuff that I've read, not necessarily on sin, but on exile and return tends to be more in the kind of a liberation theology, a little bit more of the social justice stuff versus seeing this explicitly attached biblical theologically. Um, and I, I thought it was a, a, not a simple read, but an easy read to introduce us to these themes, not in a scholarly, like a bunch of footnotes and, and all this stuff, but something that I think your average person can pick up and, and pick up some of these things like, okay, I, I see this here. Yeah. Well, that was certainly the goal to try to make it uh, accessible to a broad range of people. I think one of the, one of the worst things that can happen is when academics don't try to or are unable to uh, bring the fruits of their uh, of their Amen, study yeah. into the in, into a level where the average person sitting in the in in church can benefit from and understand mm. it. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's good and interesting that you said you enjoyed reading this book because believe it or not, I this might sound weird, but I actually could feel your positive energy in the book. Like while I'm reading it, it felt very, based on the subject, like you're saying, it kind of seems like it might be a little more negative or dry, but it was very, it was, um, it's focused like a lot on biblical truth of covenants. And it's really good for somebody that's, this subject is really brand new to somebody. This is a very good book with uh the, the way you're i like your style because it's very 
you got a way of unpacking a story that's very uh, illustrated. Well. Yeah. yeah, it grows well. It's illustrated in your mind. Your, your creative uh, imagery juices are going. And so I could uh, live through the story with you while you're writing it. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I, I think a lot of my experience um, serving in the local church helps mm -hmm. ground me yeah. in that in that way that um you know i'm constantly in context where i'm interacting with non-academic people <laughs> yeah you got to bring and, it down not bring it down but you have to make it understandable exactly and actually and even as i talk with my students in in, in seminary i i will often require them in assignments mm. to uh describe a a truth or a theme or a biblical idea in a short amount of time w and target it towards the junior high kid Mm -hmm. to see, do you really understand it? Because yeah. if you can't necessarily articulate it in some basic sense at that level, then it raises the question of, do you really understand it well enough to mm -hmm. be able to engage it well? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, most of us are laymen, well, layman's terms, right? <laughs> That's where it might come from. But it's like, most of us aren't highly scholarly academic or anything. So you're speaking to the wider range of the church and, and the population. So, um, so can you briefly describe how and why you trace the theme of sin and exile from Genesis to Revelation, which I appreciate. It's kind of like a chronological, biblical explanation. Um, how does this theme tie our understanding of Israel and our transgression and the coming of Christ? So before you kind of answer that, I know this is a double-layered question. So too often modern Christians skip to modern America as an exiled nation and so i'm trying to kind of tie up to modern thought sure well to start with um the goal of tracing this from genesis to revelation provides the framework i think for understanding uh as nt wright has has often called it the true story of the world that mm -hmm. this that the story of the bible is the true story of the world and one of the one of the lenses that you can tell that story through is this theme of sin and exile. And so I wanted to try to trace that from uh, the garden, where it all begins, and show how there's a very real sense in which the uh, this theme is rooted there, and that the rest of the story of the Bible, in one respect at least, can be told from the angle of how is God going to bring his people back mm -hmm. from their exile away from his presence and that that can be a, a sort of uh, benchmark as you're going through the biblical story to kind of track that and so where Israel comes into this is of course that God makes a promise to Abraham as the means by which he's going to bring humanity back from their exile away from his presence mm -hmm. and of course that promise to Abraham develops into the nation of Israel, that God creates the nation of Israel, and he, he, he commissions them, in essence, as a sort of new Adam kind of corporate figure, as an as a, as a entity, and he gives them the promised land, a new sort of Eden, where he intends for them to dwell as a, uh, in his presence as a show people, as a, as a people who reflect his glory and are a, uh, a light to the nations around them. And of course, Israel fails miserably in this commission. 
And so as a picture of God's judgment, he sends them out of the land. And so this, this exile away from the land in his presence becomes uh, a picture of humanity's exile away from God's presence. And so as, as God begins to announce his purpose of returning his people from their exile, it's working on multiple levels. It's not just working on the level of God and Israel and the land. It's working on the level of God and humanity and all of creation so that those two come together in terms of uh, God's promises and such. And of course, uh, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but uh, that ultimately culminates in the work of Jesus and his work to restore us from our exile away from God and uh, consummates in a new creation where uh, every stain of sin and everything that caused our exile away from God has been dealt with. And we see God face to face. I mean, that, that just even just thinking about that <laughs> it should blow our minds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's good. It's it, uh, I think, and we'll get in, like you said, we'll get into this later too. It, it, it helps us ground different parts of the Bible that talk about some of these prophecies, some of these things about us coming back to the land and how do we view this in relationship to Israel and in relationship to what Jesus does later. Cause we can do a lot of funny stuff with the prophecies and not ground them in exile and ground them in sin. Absolutely. Yeah. That this, this theme has so many um, tentacles, so to speak, that it touches on different areas of hermeneutics and larger categories of theology and so um, that's one of the fun parts of tracing this theme through the canon is getting to think on those levels and, and try to put pieces together. Yeah. And for the extra part of that question is like, do you have any thoughts on how that ties into like the here and now, right? Like right now, as we're speaking, because sure. a lot of this stuff is amazingly helpful to help understand God's redemptive story. That mm -hmm. alone is more most important obviously but I, I think a lot of listeners too saying think that's great uh how do i apply that right now living even living in america with um a lot of different views on yeah i think people will take this theme and say well, oh america's exiled because we're christ's nation and we have the special anointing yeah. so how, how do we not make some of these mistakes yeah well i think um one of the primary things that I, that I would start with is to point to a passage like um, Philippians 1.27, where Paul talks about that our citizenship is in heaven. And I know, depending on your English translation, it might just read, only uh, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. But if you're reading out of the ESV, for example, there's a footnote that says, only behave as citizens. And so there's, when, you, when you do the deeper dive, there's actually Greek uh there's, there's Greek basis for seeing that as a citizenship reference. Then, of course, in Philippians mm. 3, 21, Paul makes it explicit when he says our citizenship is in heaven. Mm. And so when you think about citizenship, what, what you have to wrestle with is that is where my primary identity is located, and that is where my primary loyalty is located. And that transcends the boundaries of uh, nation states, mm. including the United States. As, yeah, as great yeah. a country as this is <laughs> yeah. and as many wonderful freedoms as we experience, um, we are not the new Israel. Mm 
And so God has not made specific promises to the United States of America, but he has made promises to the church Hmm. and that we are uh, an exiled people in the sense of we're not home yet. We're not in the new creation yet. We experience the benefits of the new creation by the gift of the Holy Spirit. But at the end of the day, um, this is not our home. And so in a similar position as um, the Jewish people were when they were in Babylon in exile, mm-hmm. we're called to seek the benefit of the city. We're called to work for the good of the people around us, but not to put our hope in it, not to put our trust in it, and not to be overly optimistic about the results. <laughs> That's such a good reminder. Exactly. So this is a major uh, thing that you bring up in the book these categories of people, place, and presence. So it's pretty easy to remember the three Ps. Yeah, it's like a good old preacher, the alliteration. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, and it's in the, obviously, the connection of the, the book, the re- rebels and exile. Uh, can you describe these categories for the audience and how you tie them together? Yeah, so I introduced them uh, in connection with uh, God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. And uh, I need to acknowledge that I'm, I'm, I'm indebted to uh, Stephen Dempster mm-hmm. and his book, Dominion and Dynasty, which mm-hmm. is one of the most influential books I've ever read mm-hmm. when it comes to understanding how the Bible fits together. But he uses the categories of uh, either land and line to talk about God's promise to Abraham or geography and genealogy. So he's getting at this idea of, you know, God made a promise to Abraham that involves descendants or people, as well as a, a place or a location. And I, I just sort of built on that to say there's also the promise of God's presence, that he's going to be with his people. And then when you look back, if you if you understand what God is doing in Genesis 12 as this is his plan to fix what was broken in the garden then it makes sense that those three realities are actually there in the garden. And of course, when you look at Genesis 1 and 2, you see them very clearly. You see God has a people. He's put them in a place that he's made for them. And the purpose of putting them in that place is so that he can be with them. His presence will be with them. And I think those three categories provide us with a helpful uh kind of reference point to look at what God is doing all throughout the biblical storyline of who are his people, where are they located, and, um, and, and also um, how, is God be, how is God present with his people? And then, of mm-hmm. course, you see that consummated in the new creation. Mm-hmm. So I think those three categories for me have been exceptionally helpful just in kind of having a, a structure to think about the biblical storyline. Yeah, and kind of piggybacking on the the question before this, like we said, we would get to this. I think one of the most misinterpreted, misapplied, and misunderstood parts of the Old Testament, at least, is the prophets. And I think we tend to just say, like, oh, they're talking about the way, distant future, their eschatology, and they're talking about all these crazy things that are about to happen. But I think you ground it really well in exile and in what you call covenant lawsuits. Can you describe some of these things? how you read the prophets in this lens and how it points us to Christ's work? Yeah, I think that um, there's an illustration that I like to use that that I've found helpful that that, that maybe will work for for you and your listeners as well. 
Um, so living in the Midwest here, I have family who live out in Colorado. And so we've made numerous trips across the plains driving out there. And as you get into, um, into Eastern Colorado, you can begin to see the outline of the front range of the Rocky Mountains. And that's always kind of an exciting moment because you know you're getting close to your destination. Mm -hmm. And when you're, when you're out in the plains of Colorado, you see all these different peaks. But what you can't often distinguish is how far apart those peaks actually are. That there might actually be a large valley separating two peaks that from that distance look very close to each other. But in fact, as you get closer, you'd be able to discover that there might be miles of a valley that separate the one peak from another. So I, I see that as a picture of how the Old Testament prophets often saw what God was doing in the future. Hmm. So that there were times where they would look at a peak or two and they would see them as being uh, almost right next to each other. But from the further uh, evidence of, 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 of progressive revelation, as God makes it clear, that actually two events or two things happening that seemed from a long distance away happening around the same time are actually separated by this extended period. And so I think that uh, for me, that's been a helpful uh, illustration to get my mind around the fact that the Old Testament prophets will often put together two things that uh, that they describe in a way that makes them seem like they might almost be happening simultaneously, but in fact, there is a great distance between them. And let me just give one example, not related to, to exile necessarily, but uh, the book of Zephaniah, fascinating book, and you read mm -hmm. through Zephaniah 1, and it's all about the day of the Lord. And you read this language, and at times it seems like, Okay, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Got it. And then the next line makes it sound like, no, he's talking about the end of the world. <laughs> and you're like, well, which is it, Zeph? Is it, is it the end of the world or is it the destruction of, of Jerusalem? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes, it's <laughs> yeah. both. Yeah. Because in one sense, the destruction of Jerusalem is a, a pattern, an anticipation of the ultimate judgment that's coming on the last day. But I think Zephaniah has, in, this, in essence, both of those in view. Mm -hmm. And so if you get too bogged down into trying to nitpick and try to say, well, this refers to this and to this, and not understand that sort of prophetic horizon, you actually end up misinterpreting uh, scripture on, on those fronts. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Can you maybe dive in a little bit to use the term covenant lawsuit with exile and why Israel has been exiled from the land? And I think it's a it's a new way that we haven't really covered so far on this podcast for our listeners. And it's a new way of seeing the prophets and how they relate the law with Israel. So can you can you describe that sure. a little bit? Yeah. So even on the very front end, when you're reading in Deuteronomy, God makes it clear that He knows Israel is going to fail, that yeah. they're gonna that they're gonna break the covenant, and so He anticipates and warns them and says, "Look, uh, I'm going to raise up prophets." And they are going to come, and their role is to, in essence, be a prosecuting attorney. That they will come to you, and they will present the terms of the covenant and indict you for your failure to live up to that. And their purpose is to call you to repent before judgment comes. But of course, 
uh, Israel fails to heed those warnings. And so the promised judgment of exile comes along. And, and exile is presented as the culminating form of judgment because the ultimate blessing is God's presence with mm -hmm. his people. So then the ultimate form of judgment then is going to be him sending them away from the land where he dwelled with them. And so the prophets are, are, are sent to execute the terms of the covenant and to call Israel back to obedience to avoid the coming judgment. Mm. Yeah, and you mentioned the major way uh, people sinned against God preceding exile was worshiping other idols. Yes. That made it, you made that very clear and underlined that in multiple, it's just this circular, it's like, Worship other idols, exiled, called the repentance, redeemed, and then it's like over and over and over again. That's just yeah, the, yeah. which hasn't see changed. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, you see that pattern there, especially in Judges, but yeah. it, it, it expands out into the history of Israel. And and you know, this is one of those areas where, when we understand idolatry as a much bigger category than simply bowing down to a physical object of of gold or precious metal or stone or something like that and realize that idolatry is a heart level issue. That's when I think that connection to our own experience of, wait a minute. So my, my own sinful idolatry, my putting other things, other people above God in terms of priority in my life actually has a distancing effect. Hmm. And that is something that should uh, be a call for us to examine our lives and to, and to repent when God shows hmm. us, those different forms of idolatry in our own experience. Yeah. And something that I don't think I've really uh, come across before that you mentioned uh, was, and I loved it that you're talking about how the new Eden um, in the end is going to be better than the, even the original perfect Eden. So it's better than it's perfect. Plus, I mean, it's, it's, yes, it's even better. So um that kind of connects this question I have is how does the theme of rebel and exile connect to connect with eschatology? Yeah, I think that, um, again, in one sense, it starts back with the garden, right? Because even in the garden, you mentioned things are, are, are perfect, but I would say they're not complete mm -hmm. because you've got the clear, uh, you got the clear commission that God commissions humanity commissions, Adam to, uh, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule over and subdue it. Mm -hmm. And so there's a trajectory that that sets that this is what God is working towards in creation. And that gets uh, derailed, obviously, in one sense, by Adam's Adam and Eve's rebellion. But uh, when you get to uh, the, the new creation in Revelation 21 and 22, there's a clear effort on the part of the author to show you how everything that Eden was supposed to be, if Adam and Eve had obeyed and fulfilled the commission, has now been realized in this new creation with, uh, with Christ reigning there. And so I think that that helps set the bookends and even really sets the, the trajectory of the story of, of where's this thing going? You know, what, 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 what is this story ultimately about? And this is one of those examples where I, you know, 
I'm not this kind of person. Some people, when they get a book, they'll read like a mystery or something. I, I, people will read the last chapter. I, I'm not that guy. <laughs> I, I like to kind of experience the surprise and the development of things as they go. Mm-hmm. But, 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 but God has given us what the end of the story is. Mm-hmm. And that actually helps us live now mm-hmm. and rightly participate in what he's doing so that we are uh, enjoying and 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 being a part of his purpose in this world in the here and now, not just waiting, sitting on our hands, waiting for God to just magically do stuff, uh, but ultimately that we have the we have the great joy of participating in that, of announcing the good news, hmm. and of of working for the for the good of others as a as an outworking of our own delight in Christ. Hmm. Okay, so that's that's helpful to um, kind of introducing some of these concepts and so um kind of to end this would be you take the rebel uh, rebel and exile theme and you not attach this but you consummate it in christ and his finished work so can you describe for audience how how does christ himself take on uh, rebellion and exile on the cross and show us what it is to be truly in god's presence and to be with god himself yeah, that's a really important piece of this whole theme yeah, because one of the ways that the Gospels present Jesus is that he is reliving Israel's experience and Adam's experience, but obeying where Adam and Israel and all of us before him had failed. And that's a, a particularly prominent theme in those first four chapters of Matthew's Gospel, mm-hmm. where uh, Jesus is intentionally described by Matthew as doing things and experiencing things that are reliving ways that Israel failed. If you think about, in particular, the temptation narrative in Matthew four, and and that sort of thing. But 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 Jesus is the the true Adam, the true Israel, who is obeying where we had all failed, and so his obedience is what's going to, first of all, qualify him to uh, to be our substitute. But also he's fulfilling the commission that God gave to Adam as well as the commission he gave to Israel. So when he goes to the cross, he is suffering the punishment that we deserved for our rebellion. And it, it's not just even in essence, just some sort of generic rebellion, but specific acts of sin, as well as our own, you know, rebellious natures against God. And when you think about what Christ accomplishes on the cross, there's a very real sense in which the cross is his experience of exile. He is being exiled away from the presence of the Father. And even when you think about just some of the basic historical details, where is Jesus actually crucified? He's led yeah, outside. outside the city, outside yeah. the gate. So he's, you know, moving away from the place where God's presence was 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 uh, was located in that sense. And so even the 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 specific details help us see that he is experiencing our exile for us. And when you even look at some of the descriptions of Isaiah fifty three, how they describe Jesus' death in 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 those terms. In Isaiah 53, the suffering servant is experiencing the covenant curses that should have fallen on Israel. And so even the descriptions are borrowed from Deuteronomy and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So when Jesus is raised from the dead, 
he is experiencing our restoration. And this is where realizing that one of the pictures of restoration from exile is resurrection. When you look at Ezekiel 37, how does God describe his restoration of his people from exile? He describes it as a resurrection. It's the dry bones vision where, you know, Ezekiel sees this valley of dry bones and God breathes life into that. And so resurrection is inherently attached in the Old Testament to being restored from exile away from God's presence. So Jesus lives that for us. And by us being united to him by faith, his exile becomes our exile. His mm -hmm. restoration becomes our restoration. So that's really the linchpin of how mm -hmm. that all comes together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. That was a fantastic way to, <laughs> to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you for, for describing this and, and how all these themes we see throughout scripture and ultimately fulfilled in Christ. I mean, so often we can just say like, oh, exile was just for Israel without seeing, no, like Jesus himself was exiled, took on Israel status and then gave us the citizenship rights of those. And that's a hard word to say. Yeah um so yeah that was that was fantastic yeah thanks for thanks for coming on describing this and, and just so people know this is part one of our interview with with dr Harmon. so we'll have him on on our podcast what you guys will see is next week um for his next book the servant of the lord and his servant people which i think has some themes that are shared with in this book as well so we're excited to have you on for that as well looking forward to it thanks again thank you Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that episode. It was fantastic with our guest, Dr. Matthew Harmon. Heck yeah, Dr. Harmon. He's going to be our first two-parter. First yep. repeat guest. Back-to-back -back episodes. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good idea on his part. I think it's, I think it's a great idea for our part. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so yeah, Rebels and Exiles from IVP. And then tune in next week. We're going to do the servant of the Lord and his servant people. Yep. Also from IVP. Double stacking IVP. Thank you for our friends at IVP. And I mean, who doesn't want to hear more of Dr. Harmon? He's a beautiful writer. Um, oh, great. These, these, both these books I mentioned in the episodes, they really kind of, they jump at you that you, you can really feel them in your heart. Yeah. So, um, and they're not like written at a super high academic level, but they're also deep. Exactly. Exactly. And so you don't feel like you're missing anything with him not using big language. Don't let the titles fool you. They are actually very positive and very educational. You might have yeah. never heard of these explanations in your life before. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so sin, yeah. Sin and exile is a great one. Um, just the theme of those two from Genesis to Revelation in Dr. Glad's series um, with IVP. So hope you guys enjoyed that conversation, but we have some uh, book giveaway winners too. We do. We do. Uh, for the episode with Troxel, this is a little different. It technically was not actually not even technically. It just wasn't a book club episode. It was no. a Sparknote Seminary. Yeah, and we decided. Well, with Crossway, Crossway decided to let us give a give some of these copies of that book yeah. away. Yeah, he's got a, a book written on this topic. I was like, what better to do than give away a book on this topic? 
Yeah, it's called With All Your Heart, yep. Orienting Your Mind, Desires, and Will Towards Christ. So Yeah, it is It is a, I know we say this word all the time, so it gets overused, but it's, it's a fantastic, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. It's such a good book. So uh, personal story on this, this book, actually, uh, my church, my pastor is doing a book study on yeah. this book right now. We're going through it. So I love it. Um, and yeah. we do have a winner for that. Yep, we do. So Rod Santiago kindly retweeted it. He's actually a pastor at Grace Bible College. Uh, I'm sorry, Bible Church. <laughs> He's a pastor at Grace Bible Church in yeah. Roseville. Yeah. So hope you enjoy this. It's kind of a different reform book where it's not like mm. explicitly doctrinal where it is, obviously, but it, it kind of, I don't know, a, a better way of saying it, it's like reformed feelings. It's, mm. it's, um, it gets into the heart, which obviously it's written about the heart. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's good. I mean, it's, it's a different book, but I like it. Yep. Uh, not too long, pretty easy to read. Yep. Yep. Still deep. Um, listen to that episode guys it was Coxel's a fantastic human being i love him he's he, got a pastor's heart he is brilliant but he's like thing. he's so focused on the heart and changing the heart he actually is the first guest i have met in person he um he must just be like good friends with my pastor or something so he, he, he guessed, yeah yeah he uh preached one Sunday and I saw him and I had to introduce myself. He's such a nice guy. Yeah. He's tall. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> he is so tall. Yeah. But, um, great. That's guy. good. And we have a, another book giveaway. We do. Um, or no, we don't. We, no, we don't. Sorry guys. Psych. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. We just have one book giveaway. Um, we'll probably do some fun stuff soon with some extra stuff that we have. So, be on the lookout on our Twitter and Instagram and might shout you guys out for, for some extra stuff. We, we get a lot of love from publishers. So we want to spread the love to you guys too. As yeah. Nick says, we, we turn pages. God turns hearts. And, Heck yeah. And uh, speaking of Matthew Harmon, if you guys want to check him out a little bit more, he actually has a podcast called yeah. various yeah, check out that podcast. It's like various and sundry things. Sundry. Yeah. Various and sundry. <laughs> It, yeah, check that out. And we have some uh, we have some book giveaways for this one as well. It is, yeah. And his his show goes over theology, ministry, Bible, culture, and actually sports. He kind of throws in a little yep. bit of sprinkles on there called sports. Um, so I was going to ask you, Peter, what is your favorite team in sports? Would you say? Oh gosh, that's a big question. Um. My favorite team in sports is Jesus. Oh, come on. You got to give me a real one. <laughs> no, my, shoot. My favorite team was the Angels for a really long time. Yeah. Growing up in Orange County, which I guess, I don't know, default would probably still be the Angels. They're probably the ones I follow the most. Yeah. We got to go to a game soon. Um, yeah. And the Padres. And then yours is what? The Seahawks. Yeah, I'd say the team that I most passionately follow. I always see wearing Seahawks stuff. I do. I have a lot of Seahawks stuff. Seattle Seahawks. Um, that would be my number one sports team. So that was the little random <laughs> factor comment for this this uh, end of book club this week. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we got a but got book giveaway. So retweet us, find us on Instagram, like our stuff, and find us on iTunes. Give us a good rating, five stars, leave a review. Um, we're super excited about kind of all the feedback we've been getting, and we love doing these giveaways and and giving the author more exposure, but most importantly, kind of deepening everybody's understanding of the gospel and the in the finished work of Christ. So Hope you guys enjoyed that. And like Nick said, next week we have the servant of the Lord and his servant people again from Dr. Harmon. Mm -hmm. So we hope to see you guys again next week. We'll see you then. See you.